You ever hear a line that just hits right at the heart? Maybe there's a line from a movie or a song or even just something somebody has said to you. A short phrase, but with long-lasting impact. I would say the Bible is filled with these life-changing phrases. The, ver- the verse we're looking at today has had that impact on me. As we examine this verse today, I'll share how this verse has impacted my decision to change careers, my decision to get rid of my car, uh, how I approach being single, and why I dance during worship. This verse, Psalm 37.4, is the type of verse that could go on an inspirational quote poster, ready for social media. Actually, let's do that for this verse. Normally, this isn't really my thing, but today let's make an exception. Here's the verse. Wow. (laughs) Doesn't that look great? Delight in the Lord, and he will give you the desires of your heart. Sounds wonderful. I don't know about you, but I think that's Instagram ready. Anyway, all flowers and pretty fonts aside, I think it's a profound verse. To explain what I mean by that, I'll start by explaining what I don't mean by that. An easy way to misinterpret this verse is to put God in a box. This will happen if you treat the verse like a formula for success. This typically happens when we're focused on the part where we get the desires of our heart. Then we start thinking we can basically make God do what we want. We start thinking we can get God to align with our desires. This is not what the verse means. It does not mean putting God in a box. It does not mean focusing on our desires. And it does not mean making God do what we want. And actually, this ends up being backwards from how we should be thinking about it. Now I'll say why I do like this verse. First off, think about what it means to delight in God. This is where we have a relationship with God, where we enjoy our connection with him. What happens for you when you have a close enough relationship with someone that you delight in them? Chances are you start to want good things for them and even start to want what they want. Your desires change. Your desires change through relationship. Your desires also change through relationship with God. When we delight in God, we start to want what he wants. Our desires change when we delight in God. And God gives us his desires through relationship. The result of this relationship is lasting joy. My relationship with God helped me decide to go to Tyndale. One of the big factors when I was deciding whether to quit my job and go back to school was that I wanted to do it. I spent time discerning other factors, but my desire played a big role in the decision. I knew that I could do it, and I wanted to do it. I just need to figure out if I should do it. So I brought this desire to God, and I asked him, is this from you? I've had other desires in the past that seemed good in the moment, but ultimately weren't from God. I wanted to know if this desire to go to Tyndale was from God, or was just my own thing. I spent months in the discernment process, and it became more and more clear this desire came from God. It had come from a place of delighting in God and following in his steps. At this point, I can confidently say this desire to go to Tyndale was one that God placed in 
me as a result of depending on him and delighting in him. Last time I preached, I used concentric circles to help us better understand a particular passage. The purpose of these circles is to provide increasing context to better understand a passage. Our focus today is Psalm 37.4, so we'll start with our innermost circle by understanding the whole of Psalm 37. We'll see what the entire psalm is about and how verse 4 fits in with that overall theme. Then we'll peel back a layer, look at the genres of poetry and wisdom in the Bible. I'll give an overview of those genres, and then we'll look at some examples that fit with our passage today. And then we'll peel back another layer, expanding our scope to the Old Testament. We'll focus particularly on Old Testament passages that speak of delighting in God, And then finally, our scope will be expanded to the entire Bible in our outermost circle. That's the plan for today. We'll be covering a lot of ground in a short amount of time, but I'll do what I can to help you follow along. We'll start by examining Psalm 37. And I'll warn you, I'm doing the order a little differently here. Normally, I would read the passage and then provide explanation. For this psalm, I want to start by giving you the big picture of what it's about, then I'll read the psalm in its entirely. And, I'll, and heads up, it's 40 verses long, but don't let that scare you. I'll give you the big picture first, so you know what the psalm is generally about. And then as I'm reading the psalm, just take it in. Take in the poetry and the imagery of the psalm. We're not going to analyze every single verse, so don't worry about that. So to recap, big picture, then take it in. Here's the big picture. You're walking down a path, and there's a fork in the road. Which way will you go? Will you follow the path of men, or will you delight in God? That's the question Psalm 37 goes back to over and over again. There's 40 verses in Psalm 37, but it keeps going back to this choice. Look around today, and we see men and women who seem to be the definition of success. They have money, they have influence, And they have the power to live as they wish. And too often, they seem to escape the consequences they deserve. But then suddenly, those consequences hit hard. They drive confidently into the fog, and then they drive off a cliff. These examples of people rising high and then falling hard make for captivating stories. There's too many examples to list, so I'll just give one. There was this U.S. company, Enron, that existed from 1985 to 2001. They sold energy and other stuff. For several years, Enron was reporting huge profits and seemed to be doing really well. However, by the end of 2001, Enron had filed for bankruptcy. What happened? Fraud. That's what happened. This fraud was massive, pervasive, and it reached all the way to the top of the company. The details of how this fraud was committed can get a bit complicated. I know I get a bit lost trying to follow it all. Here's what I know. These men in charge of Enron pursued profits through a destructive path and ended up destroying the company and everyone in its orbit. Yes, the men at the top did face varying amounts of jail time, but the crash also devastated innocent bystanders. Employees who had retirement savings locked in with Enron stock lost it all. The path of the wicked leads to destruction. 
for a while, the path is smooth, it's fast, and it seems to be successful. But then at some point, you drive confidently into the fog and drive off a cliff. The other path is to depend on God. This is not an easy path. It's uneven, it's rocky, you might trip. But the difference is you're holding God's hand. When the tricky parts come, you pull on God, and he pulls you right back. There's a human version of this. I have a niece and a nephew. They are currently four years old and one year old. Uh, one time I was babysitting them, and we went to a, a small ditch by the house. The four-year-old was all over it. She had her boots on. She was ready to go. But the terrain was a bit tougher for the one-year-old. So I held his hand as we walked through the ditch. Actually, I think he just held on to my finger because, you know, hand size difference. Anyway, for the most part, I just walked alongside him. He was fine. But then during the hilly parts, he might pull on me a little, and I might pull on him a little. And then for the really hilly part, I picked him up and got him out of there. God does that with us too. He can gauge whether we, whether he can just walk alongside us, or if he needs to pull on us a little, or if he needs to pick us up and get us out of there. That's the point of Psalm 37. Hold on to God. All right, let's actually read the psalm now. And remember, just take in all the imagery as I read it to you. All right, verse 1. Do not fret because of those who are evil, or be envious of those who do wrong. For like the grass, they will soon wither. Like green plants, they will soon die away. Trust in the Lord and do good. Dwell in the land and enjoy safe pasture. Take delight in the Lord, and he will give you the desires of your heart. Commit your way to the Lord, trust in him, and he will do this. He will make your righteous reward shine like the dawn, your vindication like the noonday sun. Be still before the Lord, and wait patiently for him. Do not fret when people succeed in their ways, when they carry out their wicked schemes. Refrain from anger and turn from wrath. Do not fret, it leads only to evil. Those who are evil will be destroyed, but those who hope in the Lord will inherit the land. A little while, and the wicked will be no more. Though you look for them, they will not be found. But the meek will inherit the land and enjoy peace and prosperity. The wicked plot against the righteous and gnash their teeth at them. But the Lord laughs at the wicked, for he knows their day is coming. The wicked draw the sword and bend the bow to bring down the poor and needy, to slay those whose ways are upright. But their swords will pierce their own hearts, and their bows will be broken. Better the little that the righteous have than the wealth of many wicked. For the power of the wicked will be broken, but the Lord upholds the righteous. The blameless spend their days under the Lord's care, and their inheritance will endure forever. In times of disaster, they will not wither. In days of famine, they will enjoy plenty. But the wicked will perish. Though the Lord's enemies are like the flowers of the field, they will be consumed. They will go up in smoke. The wicked borrow and do not repay, but the righteous give generously. Those the Lord blesses will inherit the land, and those he curses will be destroyed. The Lord makes firm the steps of the one who delights in him. Though he may stumble, he will not fall, for the Lord upholds him with his hand. I was young, and now I am old, yet I have never seen the righteous forsaken, 
or their children begging bread. They are always generous and lend freely. Their children will be a blessing. Turn from evil and do good. Then you will dwell in the land forever. For the Lord loves the just and will not forsake his faithful ones. Wrongdoers will be completely destroyed. The offspring of the wicked will perish. The righteous will inherit the land and dwell in it forever. The mouths of the righteous utter wisdom, and their tongues speak what is just. The law of their God is in their hearts. Their feet do not slip. The wicked lie in wait for the righteous, intent on putting them to death. But the Lord will not leave them in the power of the wicked, or let them be condemned when brought to trial. Open the Lord and keep his way. He will exalt you to inherit the land. When the wicked are destroyed, you will see it. I have seen a wicked and ruthless man flourishing like a luxuriant native tree. But he soon passed away and was no more. Though I looked for him, he could not be found. Consider the blameless, observe the upright. A future awaits those who seek peace. But all sinners will be destroyed. There will be no future for the wicked. The salvation of the righteous comes from the Lord. He is their stronghold in times of trouble. The Lord helps them and delivers them. He delivers them from the wicked and saves them because they take refuge in him. Let's recap what we've heard and tie it back to Psalm 37. We see evil men achieve short-term gain. We can follow their path, but then end up destroyed. Or we can depend on God. This path is in some ways harder, but ultimately leads to eternal fulfillment. I'll share a recent example of what it looks like for God to provide. For those of you who were here last week, you may recall there was food. Well, I brought that food, but it almost didn't make it here. The night before last Sunday, I went to move my car, and the car wouldn't start. That's a bit of a problem. How would I get the food to church? Fortunately, God has provided with his community, and a member of my residence gave me a ride. But what about the car? What should I do about the car? I ended up deciding to get rid of it. That may seem sudden, but I had been thinking about it for a while. It had been having issues, and I had been wondering what I should do about the car. I would pray about it, and I would pray for clarity regarding the decision. So by the time the car stopped working last week, I had already been praying about it. It's time, I thought to myself. I got rid of the car the next day. That doesn't exactly line up with a get God to give you what you want model of Christianity, does it? Shouldn't God have fixed my car or gotten me a better one? Well, sometimes God does provide in that way, but God often has other ways of providing. In my case, God provided me clarity with the decision and what I need to get by without a car. Now we'll peel back another layer, looking at the genres of the Bible known as poetry and wisdom. I'll start by reading a story. I was walking to the grocery store when suddenly I tripped and fell on the sidewalk. My knee was bleeding as a result of hitting the pavement. I walked back home so I could get my knee bandaged up. Now to be clear, this is a fictional story, so no need to worry. I did not actually trip and fall on the pavement. I'm okay. But hopefully you can visualize the sequence of events as they occurred. Now I'm going to describe the same event, but using a poem I wrote. 
Red, red. All is red. The unrelenting, merciless concrete has broken my flesh. My blood spills onto the streets as I journey in search of aid. Eyes of judgment, peered by injury, unable or unwilling to provide the healing I require. I limp along, trudging through blood and judgment. has a different feel to it than the story, doesn't it? In fact, the poem C is quite different in content from the story. So, which of them is true? Both are. They each answer a different question. The story answers the question, what happened? If I want to know times, places, people, events, the story is the place to go. The poem doesn't answer any of those questions well. It just goes on and on about the blood and the red blood and the eyes of judgment. I don't know what's happening, where it's happening. It's not even accurate. There's no way there was that much blood. But the poem is saying it felt like that. The question the poem answers vividly is, how did it feel? On this front, the, the poem performs much better than the story. The poem contains imagery and bold statements that really help us enter the emotional landscape of the person experiencing this. There is some hyperbole, but that doesn't make the poem less truthful. When answering the question, how did it feel? It does this accurately. The Bible has a lot of poetry, particularly in Psalms, and it's good to keep these things in mind. Poetry contains imagery that may not always correspond to a literal meaning there may even be the occasional use of hyperbole. That doesn't mean we ignore these parts of the Bible or regard them as untrue. Instead, we consider what question is it answering. There's another genre in the Bible called wisdom literature. The three biggest books for this genre are Proverbs, Ecclesiastes, and Job. Proverbs is a fun book to read, at least for me it is. It has all these tips. It's so practical. Anybody who's into self-help books should take a look at Proverbs, the original source. And if self-help books aren't your thing, you should still take a look at Proverbs because it beats the competition. A key theme of Proverbs is the idea that living wisely leads to good outcomes. If you do this, it will go this way. If you do this opposite thing, it will go this opposite way. I love how straightforward that is. However, People who have lived any amount of time on this earth know that life isn't always so straightforward. What do we do when life doesn't go the way that it should? Ecclesiastes and Job spend their time answering that question. So the Bible covers both sides of that coin. How life should go, and what happens when it doesn't. The Bible even contains some psalms that are similar to Proverbs. We call these wisdom psalms. Psalm 37 is an example of a wisdom psalm. Let's look at a couple other examples. Here's our first example from Psalm 1. Verse 1, Blessed is the one who does not walk in step with the wicked, or stand in the way that sinners take, or sit in the company of mockers, but whose delight is in the law of the Lord, and who meditates on his law day and night. That person is like a tree planted by streams of water, which yields its fruit in season, and whose leaf does not wither, Whatever they do prospers. Look at verse 2. 
where it says, whose delight is in the law of the Lord. This person spends time meditating on this law. And they do it out of desire, not obligation. And what's the result? They're like a tree. Planted, steady, fruitful. Sounds like Psalm 37.4, right? Let's look at another example. Psalm 119 is humongous. And the whole thing is about the word of God. And there are multiple examples where the word delight comes up. Let's look at four of them. Verse 24, your statutes are my delight. They are my counselors. Verse 35, direct me in the path of your commands, for there I find delight. Verse 143, trouble and distress have come upon me, but your commands give me delight. And finally, verse 174, yes, Psalm 119 is that big. Verse 174, I long for your salvation, Lord, and your law gives me delight. There were a few more examples, but hopefully this gets the point across. This person turns toward God and finds delight in that choice. I'll just share one more example of wisdom literature. This one from Proverbs 3, verses 5 and 6. Verse 5, trust in the Lord with all your heart and lean not on your own understandings. In all your ways submit to him, and he will make your path straight. So how does this help us understand Psalm 37.4 better? We see the verse is written like a proverb. It's a concise statement for wise living. Do this, and this will happen. However, it's not a formula for getting what you want. Verse 4 fits in with the rest of Psalm 37 which uses poetic language to describe a general point. You're reading a poem, not a life hack article. The takeaway from verse 4 is to focus on delighting in God. Focus on that, and then you can reasonably expect good to come from that. We're ready to peel back another layer, take a quick look at the Old Testament to see what it says about delighting in God. I do not speak Hebrew, but we're going to look at some Hebrew. The purpose of this will be to draw as firm a connection between Psalm 37.4 and other Old Testament passages. The Old Testament was originally written in Hebrew, so looking at the original Hebrew helps us better understand the original intent of each passage. If you ever feel like doing your own study of Hebrew in the Bible, there are websites you can use, or you can do what I did and ask Andrew for help too. With that said, let's confidently dip our toe in the water here. The Hebrew for delight is anag, and it has three possible meanings in the Old Testament. It means to be dainty, to be happy about, or to make fun of. The meaning of anag that makes the most sense for Psalm 37.4 is to be happy about. This Hebrew word anag shows up a total of ten times in the Old Testament. I've listed them all there, but we'll just look at a couple of them. I'll read Isaiah 55, verses 1 to 2, and you'll see the word delight, bolded and underlined on the screen. Verse 1. Come, all you who are thirsty, come to the waters. And you who have no money, come, buy and eat. Come, buy wine and milk without money and without cost. Why spend money on what is not bread, and your labor on what does not satisfy? Listen, listen to me, and eat what is good. And you will delight in the richest affair. Now read Isaiah 58, verses 13 and 14. And again, you'll see the part bolded and underlined as the same Hebrew origin 
as delight in Psalm 37, 4, verse 13. If you keep your feet from breaking the Sabbath and from doing as you please on my holy day, if you call the Sabbath a delight and the Lord's holy day honorable, and if you honor it by not going your own way and not doing as you please or speaking idle words, then you will find your joy in the Lord, and I will cause you to ride in triumph on the heights of the land and to feast on the inheritance of your father Jacob, for the mouth of the Lord has spoken. I also looked up the Hebrew word for desire used in Psalm 374. This Hebrew word here is Mishala, which meaning request, petition, or desire. This word only shows up twice in the Old Testament, aside from Psalm 37.4. The only other reference is Psalm 20, verse 5. For this Hebrew word, there's a root. Hebrew word sha'al, meaning to ask. The word sha'al shows up over 150 times in the Old Testament. So if two references isn't enough for you, dig into sha'al. For now, though, let's just look at that Psalm 20 reference. You'll see a request bolded in that passage. And the word has the same Hebrew origin, Mishala, as desire in Psalm 37, 4. Verse 1, may the Lord answer you when you are in distress. May the name of the God of Jacob protect you. May he send you help from the sanctuary and grant you support from Zion. May he remember all your sacrifices and accept your burnt offerings. May he give you the desire of your heart and make all your plans succeed. May we shout for joy over your victory and lift up our banners in the name of our God. May the Lord grant all your requests. What do we learn from our investigation of Hebrew words? We see God consistently caring about the needs and desires of those who bring their requests to him. Then we see a connection between obedience and joy in the Lord. If you obey God, you can expect that to lead to joy in the Lord. And then we see that God does take care of us in our times of need. God cares about us, and God is able to take care of us. I will say, though, it can be hard waiting for God's timing. Uh, So I'm I'm single, and I have a desire for marriage, but it hasn't happened yet. You know, and I could choose to get angry at God for not fulfilling this longing. And sure, you know, I feel the, the loneliness at times. But ultimately, I trust in God's ways. Right? I trust that God sees my desire for intimacy, cares about it, and can find a way to honor that. I trust that my focus should be on delighting in God. And sure, there's other steps one can and probably should, should take toward marriage. But if I don't start with depending on and delighting in God, then I'm starting out wrong. All right, now it's time to bring in New Testament. Start with some teaching from Jesus. I bolded it, underlined verse 33, because of how well it aligns with Psalm 37, 4. I'll also read the verses before and after for additional context. The verse 31. So do not worry, saying, what shall we eat, or what shall we drink, or what shall we wear? For the pagans run after all these things, and your heavenly Father knows that you need them. But seek first his kingdom and his righteousness, and all these things will be given to you as well. Therefore, do not worry about tomorrow, for tomorrow will worry about itself. Each day has enough trouble of its own. Now I'll read from Galatians about the desires of the Spirit. Psalm 37.4 says, Delight in the Lord, and he will give you the desires of your heart. What we'll read now will describe God giving us desires as a result of delighting in him. 
Verse 16. So I say, walk by the Spirit, and you will not gratify the desires of the flesh. For the flesh desires what is contrary to the Spirit, and the Spirit what is contrary to the flesh. They are in conflict with each other, so that you are not to do whatever you want. But if you are led by the Spirit, you are not under the law. I'll read one more passage that talks about walking in the Spirit. This, this section in Romans 8, it's, it's so good. I wanted to read the whole thing. However, I think these two verses are enough to indicate the general point. Verse 5. Those who live according to the flesh have their minds set on what the flesh desires, but those who live in accordance with the Spirit have their mind set on what the Spirit desires. The mind governed by the flesh is death, but the mind governed by the Spirit is life and peace. So in the New Testament, we see Jesus make the connection between seeking the kingdom of God and God taking care of us. And then we see other new parts of the New Testament talk about us walking by the Spirit rather than by the desires of the flesh. And we see that following the desires of the Spirit ultimately leads to everlasting life. One way I've seen the desires of the Spirit in my life is through dance. In my early 20s, I was deepening my connection with God and getting in touch with His Spirit. And then during times of worship, I started feeling this urge to physically move my body to dance. Now, there was a part of me that very much did not want to do that. During my teenage years, I had learned to hide for fear that I would be noticed. The desire to hide was still present in me during those times of worship. But it was a desire based out of fear. There was a new desire, a stronger desire, taking over. This was a desire to express myself to God in worship through dance. It's such a visible form of worship, and it directly clashed with my desire to hide. But the desire of the Spirit went out, and so you may or may not see me dancing during, during times of worship. I wasn't sure whether to share this story today, partly because I still struggle with the attention it it brings, but also because it's less widely applicable than the other stories I shared today. Here's the part that is widely applicable, though. Desires of the Spirit will clash with desires of the flesh. Following the desires of the Spirit will often require courage. Maybe as I shared my example, there's something that comes to mind for you. I would encourage you to explore that gone through all the concentric circles, now it's time to ask, where do we land? What do we learn today? How do we apply it? Here's how I would summarize what we learned today. Depend on God, delight in God, desires align with God. And I would say it happens in that order. First, depend on God. That will lead to delighting in God. Then when you delight in God, your desires will align with God. Depend on God, delight in God, desires align with God. I can't really give you a formula for applying this, but hopefully the stories I shared today about my job, my car, my singleness, my dancing, help give an idea of what that can look like for you. Depend on God, delight in God, desires align with God. I'll, uh, I'll pray to, to wrap us up.
Lord God, thank you for desires and thank you that we want things and thank you that we want things that you want, Lord. Um, yeah, I know sin gets in, in the way of that and it warps our wants and how we go about pursuing those. But you, you find a way to, to get through to us, Lord. Um, you came down from heaven. You sacrificed your life and you defeated death so that we can be with, with you, Lord. And so I pray that you would help each of us here to depend on you and to really like delight in you through relationship. Um, yeah, and then I pray that the things we want would grow more and more into the things that you want. Amen. <laughs>